0: Hi everyone, it's Megan here. Wanted to share a couple little updates with you before we dive into episode 60 with our special guest. Just to remind everyone, I release a monthly good news newsletter and I try to send it out on the first day of each month to get you started off on the right foot, no matter what day of the week it is. I share good news, uplifting stories, There's usually a recipe and a great read and a featured artist. And I also like to give some extra attention to our special guests that all of you love so much um, and just highlight some of the things they're doing out in the world in addition to giving you access to their YouTube um, videos of our conversations as well as the recordings um, here in podcast land. And one more update quickly on Sunday, March the 26th. I hope if you're in the local Sacramento area. You'll join myself as well as another local teacher named Kirsten Johnson as we are leading a yoga session at the Arden Fair Mall and we're going to be focusing on chair yoga and Kirsten's going to lead that session. We want it to be accessible to more bodies than not and then i'm going to be leading a mindful moment in meditation and there's going to be some surprises there's going to be some giveaways there may even be a special um famous guest or two i think that's in the works so i hope that we'll see you there in person if you're local and i hope you'll find a moment to subscribe to the newsletter to do so head to myyogaaudio.com and click on the connect button And you can subscribe right there in Flowdesk. And if you're following along on social media, just head to the link in bio on Instagram at my.yoga.audio. All right, everybody, let's get on with the show. Welcome back. Once again, it's time for Maya, my yoga audio, and I'm your host, Megan Morgan, and it's been a few weeks since we released a new episode, and I'm over the moon excited to bring a new interview with a yoga leader that many of you may know. In fact, I met him for the first time about 10 years ago when I first moved to Sacramento at the Yoga Seed which was a a yoga studio collaborative, actually, and cooperative um, that I joined in the fall of 2013. And this teacher named James Kapika was teaching a Thursday night class at the time, uh, yin yoga, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, later on, that was just fabulous. And his energy and enthusiasm, compassion, I felt very safe in that class, and there was a regular group of people who went to this class on Thursday nights, and I've always remained grateful for that time there. And on social media, and in the yoga world as it is, I've seen James continue to thrive, and he's now running festivals, and he's an ambassador, and he's launched a game. He's doing so many exciting things in the world that we're gonna share with you today. So welcome. James Capica to this show and thank you so much for making the time to be here with us today.
1: Thank you, Megan. Thanks so much. It feels such an honor and privilege that you you wanted to have me on here and I'm really excited to uh, be a part of this and share a little bit about what, what you introduced. Yeah, thank you.
0: Yeah, you're so welcome. And we have to give our thanks too, to Jill Bernard who a lot of you know in this um in the Sacramento community the well-being resource guide uh, director. That was one of the first publications I picked up outside of the yoga seat. I actually went to the Shine Cafe next door after that (laughs) yoga class and picked up the local well-being resource guide and to now have come full circle and know Jill and have been introduced to you. And Maya, as I've mentioned to those of you who subscribe to the newsletter also has um, a listing in the well-being resource guide this year. So it feels like a nice 10 year anniversary of moving to Sacramento and to come full circle back and getting to know Jill, um, who's reintroduced me to James and the work that he's doing. So James, I would love it if you would just get into telling our listeners, kind of like a lot of times I'll read a bio of, you know, the person, what they have listed on the website, but how would you describe who James is in the world right now, who you are, what you do? All that good stuff.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's who I am. It's a very existential question. Um, And I I guess I'd say, like a lot of if I summed up my mission of of what I do in the world, a lot of it's been inspired of bringing people back to a place of trusting their own intuition, Mm -hmm. trusting their inner source. That was really kind of like my core mission when I first started working as a teacher or body worker, And it's grown into, I'd say, the secondary mission point would be really connectivity and bringing people together of like, it's kind of the the missing piece of trusting oneself only as the guide is like the other piece of how we're mirrors to each other and and how we're teachers. So for me, that's that's probably what I do my best to infuse into any project, uh, into my classes and trainings that these core aspects of us really learning to trust ourselves and our bodies as these divine temples. And also that it, for, for almost all non-full aesthetics, that our relationships and our community is such a massive aspect of, of a fulfilled life and of a healthy life.
0: Uh, I would say that, that <laughs> everything that you just said was what was embodied in your teaching that I experienced at um, yoga seed all those years ago can you give us kind of a a trajectory of where your life has gone it's been like yeah like almost 10 years um kind of what you were doing then what it morphed into what you're doing now what you're excited about now
1: yeah at that at that time uh when you were practicing with me at the yoga seed and thanks for mentioning it it was this really amazing nonprofit uh that did a lot for many years in Sacramento um I was a full-time yoga teacher then, which is a bit of a hustle for anyone that's done it in that I was in multiple studios, many of them over half an hour away from each other over the course of a week. And uh, I loved doing it and also had that kind of natural teacher's fatigue of overexertion. And so when I moved, I ended up transitioning and I I did a a bit of traveling to the, the East and to Hawaii as well as transitioned into a nomadic life. So until recently I was living and traveling in a camper vehicle for about seven or eight years working different events, leading retreats. Um, yeah, having a lot of freedom and a lot of that kind of first principle of a lot of being guided by my inner voice. And at the same time, sometimes feeling a bit, um, separated from consistent community. We get to drop in in these moments and then move back out. So my life has grounded me again in the Santa Barbara area. Um, But there's, yeah, there's been a lot of projects and entrepreneurial and heart creative space projects and attempts to make things happen in the past 10 years since we've seen each other.
0: Uh, Well, that's what's kind of incredible when we were talking kind of offline before today. I know some of your travels have um, brought you into not just meeting but forming a connection with some of the like <laughs> bigger names in the yoga world and the music world um, in the healing sphere and it's I don't want to like dwell on on the notion of celebrity but more so a little bit about like who some of the people that so many of us admire and and have listened to or followed over the years and then kind of what what were your takeaways your some of your takeaways or learnings from them um so on your travels but also in meeting some some pretty incredible people
1: yeah thank you um ram das was definitely uh one of the biggest first people that made an impression on me at a really young age uh, probably about 20 years old i started reading be here now which i know is a big bridge and inroad for a lot of people for decades mm-hmm. and you know his teachings were such an encompass non-dualistic understanding of christianity buddhism hinduism particularly it doesn't get in as much to his jewish lineage in that text um, but it was it was such a unifying principle of things that i felt i abstractly kind of understood or gleaned at from a really young age but hadn't had the concise poignancy of a teacher like nailing it down for me and so when i i got to attend some workshops with him when i was living in maui and mainly around the subject of death and dying that was the work he was focused on in his older older age uh, before he left his body and at the same time it was a, an early theme in all of his works as a yogi of meditating on death and of preparing death and dying to be a ritual and to be a safe container and to have your needs met in in that transition so meeting him was was really potent i i felt like i was seeing an old friend that was really dear to my heart that i hadn't seen in years though i had never met him um to the point that i was I was crying and quite speechless and just like so much joy in hugging the embodiment of this person that really had been this friend and ally for me for, for close to a decade at that point.
0: I'm like getting goosebumps under my, my arm feeling that the experience of, of that, and it's something you may or may not know um, about me is I've written a book about three near death experiences that I've had. And so I hold this space for the sacredness of, of that. And I also love that you mentioned before he um, left his body and just just the words that you're using to kind of just describe that encounter of of this being, this energetic um, being and what, what you knew before, what you knew in presence and what you're continuing to know afterwards. I just hold that in such... Um, Appreciation. <laughs> I feel like that's very sacred what you just said.
1: Yeah, it's it was a mission of his for many decades to create places that people could go to die within their own container, spiritual container, playing music, burning incense, open windows, lighting. Like how do you want it? And uh, in moving to Maui, he partnered with Bodhi B, who's one of the leaders of the Sufi movement in Maui, a really amazing group, and they have a death store there that educates people on their rights and helps people learn to bury bodies on their own property or at sea, uh, affordable, decomposable caskets, really amazing work there. Um, and so I was able to be introduced to all of that, like the last, the last bit of time that he was on this earth, where his mission was like culminating in, in a several decade long dream, really powerful, really beautiful.
0: Oh. Would you say that, spending that time and and learning what you did um, from him in that environment kind of changed a a trajectory in your life or like gave you new direction in terms of, you know, where you wanted to spend your time and what you wanted to do.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, as, as a, a, like a turn pin pivot point of like something I was really ripe to receive when I was introduced to his work uh, and just continued down that direction of, moving into studying other yoga texts and making yoga a part of my life he was probably the first one that moved me in that direction uh, on a philosophical level which was well before I had done any asana Um and has yeah I've I've listened to lectures repeatedly that he taught in the 60s and then in the 70s Um just really consistent uh culmination of a lot of like things I understood, you know, I've had these moments where it's like, I have all these little bits and then I hear a teacher and it's, it's like, they can thread it all together into this tapestry of like, yeah, I knew these all went together. And I, I, I would just had difficulty articulating it prior to hearing someone else like specify it. And he was someone that could do that with such ease and lightheartedness and his, his connection to source and how it came through in him.
0: Uh- is incredible. And what I just picked up on, I'm not sure if I heard you correctly, but that you said you encountered that before you'd even ever done any physical asana practice of yoga. Is that right?
1: Yeah. I'm, um, one of those people that was introduced to philosophy in the yogic tradition and was inclined to want to read and study different spiritual ideals, uh, from a young age that that was really the core of my practice. Um, still the core of my practice and was foundational and was there for, for a few years before I was practicing in a studio.
0: I I love that. And I don't know that I've encountered a person at least in the 10 years that I've been here that's had that kind of background. And we were talking about this a little bit offline, how the Western perception of yoga is that it's these physical movements and there's more to it, but then also the background of it being um, you are going to speak more intelligently about it than I will, but more dualistic and like either or, and not so integrated. I, I wonder if you'd share a little more of your, your philosophical background and like, as it applies to the modern day uh, yogi. So there's been some conversations that took place when I launched this podcast in 2020, where a few teachers that I had on the show were really reevaluating their relationship to yoga and like, who they were and what does it mean to be a yoga teacher now what have they learned what was that sort you know kind of just this grappling with um identity and i i feel like you're going to have some perspectives that a lot of us can really whether you're a practice practicing yogi i'm using air quotes um or not but what what that can mean for self-identification and connection and community and, and all that
1: yeah yeah, well, as I said about Ron Das being a non-dualistic teacher, um, and that would be true of the other people that I've gravitated towards and related to and and felt they had a deep understanding of truth, uh, was that that the thread is one of being created in divine image, to quote the Old Testament, that like our body is this vessel that has this inner guidance that we can lean into and trust. And that model Creates a lot of sovereignty and in, in us as individuals. A model that's dualistic sometimes, often, can lend itself towards power struggles. Right? Let's say a church requires you to pay money to to access certain levels of heaven. Right? Or, or there's certain tributaries, or you have to go through the church to access the divine. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It's just that in a dualistic model, it lends itself towards towards control and to power. It can be misused. So, a non-dualistic tradition, which is really what what's practiced in the West, what's practiced in yoga studios, is hatha yoga, um, which is like all asana is hatha yoga essentially, and it it was really birthed or at least expanded upon as a practice and tradition from tantra. Tantra being a non-dualistic practice, it was a bit of a renaissance or reformation, I should say, of of rejecting dualistic teachings that were happening in india that could get very segregatory right based on caste and based on gender and so there was a rejection of this often by lower castes and different people that didn't want to to be held uh as subversive uh submissive and as a result we have tantra, we have a practice that's really about seeing our vehicle not as something to suppress or move past, but as actually the vessel through, right, the way to get through to where we're supposed to to evolve to, to grow to, to understand, both in the issue of in our embodiment and in our, in our death. Um, so in the West, we're teaching largely from a text called the Hatha Yoga Pradipika, which looks at asana and the chakra system and it looks at the different values and winds in the body and all aspects that we teach in yoga studios and the predominant philosophy taught in like a teacher training for example tends to be from the yoga sutra with focus on the eight limbs which are really uh, a nice map for how to use asana and aspects of how we relate to ourselves in the world to calm ourselves from meditation. the same time the yoga sutra was written in a time when what was dominating in india was a really dualistic model and so the, the language in the sutras differentiates between prakriti which is nature and form our bodies our emotions our minds and purusha which is the creative source they're two different things they don't interrelate they don't interact which philosophically can be criticized as like, well, then how do you move from one to the other if there's no intersecting? So it's it's a point of something I'd like to share in that the Yoga Sutras does have this dualistic model and it really has sustained itself in the world of India. And as a result, yoga, from my understanding, because of Western colonial rule, there was some level of British imperialism that was encouraging the Yoga Sutras to be embraced as a popular philosophy because it presented a dualistic model that made it easier to control people. So there's no right and wrong in any of these studios or people trying to understand this super pluralistic pantheon of texts that India welcomes into the umbrella of, let's say, Hinduism or Indian philosophy. Um, And it's, it's a critical point to understand, for me, what it is you're teaching people right? If you have something to teach as far as body mechanics, knowing how the 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 joints work and whatnot, teaching philosophy of non-dualism, it's really important for me to support people in understanding that they have all that they need. Because alternatively, I'm going to create an inter-codependent relationship where I am the thing that they're missing, that they need. And then, you know, now we have these scandals from gurus from the 70s coming out because this unhealthy relationship with teacher or guru Mm -hmm.
0: I love hearing all this and I know you um I see this a lot you know people are advertising master classes and teach the teacher but as somebody who has been teaching for how long have you been teaching I know it's at least 10 years because that's how long I've known you but
1: it's been about 15 I think yeah
0: so how because I know you're you're in the stages of planning for like You've taught in studios, obviously. You've taught teacher trainings. Um, you're planning. I, I believe you're working on a few events that are kind of centered around um, yoga, yoga festivals, so to speak. What are some of the things you're you're bringing into the planning of those events and these experiences for people? That's kind of, you know, influenced by both. It's got to be influenced by your like personal life experience and and what you've learned but also like how that philosophy applies and maybe how it's morphed. Cause I think you've been doing that for some time, right? In planning events. And so how has that changed? I don't want to necessarily use the pandemic as a benchmark, but what would be a benchmark for you for when you started to see things shift?
1: Yeah, I'd, before pandemic, definitely when I transitioned from teaching regular classes uh, with a really full schedule to focusing more on offering events and working with special single time things, whether it be retreats or these transformational festivals you mentioned. Um, what, what's transitioned for me, you know, I'd say with both becoming a yoga teacher for people that don't teach or working in event production that people that don't, it looks kind of glamorous. Like it looks exciting, like, man, it must be so cool to be on the other side of that. And what I'll say, a lot of people that do teach yoga know that, you know, when you start out, it's, it can be kind of a hustle to make hands meet with how much yoga teachers make it. It hasn't changed probably for most people in 10 or 15 years, even though the economy has as far as what they get paid and event production, you know, it's like wedding planning, for example, like it's a lot of cross and T's and dot and I's. So the realism of it has definitely made me come to a deeper appreciation and be more selective about what I put time into. Um, But with the events themselves, with working with festivals, I have lucidity festival coming up next month in Santa Barbara and soul play festival in June up in Lake County. They're two really amazing events. And part of the attraction to them is, is they embrace similar values to what I was sharing as my mission and my mission, because it's what I resonate with the most deeply as truths. And these events have these really unifying principles. Uh, Lucidity brings yoga and Tantra and electronic and live music and two and 3d art and permaculture and new technologies. It's this hub for people to educate and really empower themselves as individuals. And at the same time, it presents a safe space that's really giving people an opportunity to open up and be vulnerable and connect on deep levels in ways that just don't seem to happen, you know, when you're walking down the street, there's not, it's just not the same level, understandably so. And, and soul play is another one. It's a smaller event, a little more intimate and focus on intimacy, embodiment, connection, um, lots of tantra workshop, interpersonal workshops. What I call California tantra, um, a little different than like the traditional Indian work, but still focused on embodiment more through person to person dynamics than anything else. Um, but lots of yoga and dance, and and it's it's really an amazing event. Uh, Soul Play is in that it it's done such a good job of creating a safe space. It's a sober environment. As there's an understanding, you can't really do partner consent work, co-dancing stuff when you're under the influence. It's hard to consent when you're not sober. And and also in creating a really diverse, inclusive belonging focus on their event. So it has people that identify across a spectrum of gender identification, of who and they choose to relate to, of different ethnic backgrounds and cultural backgrounds and so it's been beautiful and a learning process for those in production because most people that work in these events really want to do a good job of of being inclusive and inviting people in um and sometimes you know we we find ourselves stumped in production of like how do we do that in a good way and soul play of any event i've worked with is really pioneered because they have people in leadership with diverse backgrounds of of, of finding a way to like actually be inclusive uh it's 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 a thing we talk about you know social justice as a form of spiritual practice uh and it's it's interesting to talk about and it definitely like makes you look like you care um but doing the work is and 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 yielding results is uh is really rewarding and that event has has been a an example for me and a joy to be a part of production with oh
0: that sounds amazing and i think we probably need to share those details and, and dates with people. Um, so I can do that in the show notes and also in the, the social media posts that will kind of come out surrounding this episode. So I will get those, or maybe you can even just tell us quickly too, what the dates and remind us of the dates and the places of those two festivals again. And then- Of course, I'll- yeah.
1: Lucidity Festival takes place the second weekend of April every year. I believe it's the 8th, ninth, and 10th this this year. It's in the hills of Santa Barbara, really amazing music transformational gathering of about five thousand, and then Soul Play Festival is several hundred people. Second weekend of June, also I believe the eighth to the tenth. It's a four-day festival. Um, includes lunch and dinner. It's this it's this kind of retreat festival, and it's in Cobb, California, which is in Lake County, above Napa County.
0: Okay. Very nice. Okay, so this episode's coming out um, the second week of March, so that will still give people some time um, to check those out and and register and get involved. And then I, I wanted to jump onto something you um, were talking about, like ecstatic dance and how freeing that is in the body, along with yoga, the other you know body movements and tantric movements you mentioned, and. When well, we were talking offline earlier this week, I'd mentioned to you a previous guest, Jesse Bliss, who does um, work in the women's prison with nice. um, with the arts, and she collaborated with another uh, person who's a choreographer, and they produced this beautiful um, short film, um, a documentary about um, you know working with with inmates to mm-hmm. heal their bodies through movement and through art, and I know you've done some work as well in this in this sphere. And I wonder if you would feel comfortable kind of sharing a bit about that with us.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Um, Yeah, the yoga seed to bring it back to that really amazing nonprofit, uh, partnered with prison yoga project, which I believe was born uh, by James Fox at San Quentin, probably close to 20 years at this point, And they are all over the world in multiple countries, multiple prisons. And uh, the Yoga Seed worked with their program to bring it to the Sacramento area. I believe they worked in local jails um, later on. Um, but while I was there, I was teaching at a level four section in Folsom Prison and supported by them. So it was really amazing opportunity. And, and prisons my my outside, very kind of naive perspective is it does have a little bit of an overlapping environment as being in an ashram. Definitely, it's not something by choice, but as far as meals, schedule, solitude, or private time, like time where you're essentially in a very small space by yourself or with one other human. Um, I You mentioned teachers earlier, and I was fortunate to spend a couple months at Alma's ashram and... It's, it was quite an intense frequency being there because there are thousands of people. She has 16-story apartment buildings at her ashram. And uh, it kind of, it it focuses all the energy in on like what you're doing when all you're doing is save a work or meditating or sitting in a room or um, and being in the prison, to me, it felt like, man, this is a really similar setup. And who Who more so could utilize this practice, which is designed to somewhat embrace periods of solitude, stillness, asana, which can be done on a mat in a small space, than inmates. So I was really blessed to be invited to join the Yoga Seed in teaching at Folsom Prison. And they were the most powerful weekly classes I ever taught. Um, the, the men that were there, it's a very cold cement floor gymnasium that they're practicing and they're choosing that over yard time in the sun. So they're prioritizing this is something they're genuinely wanting and interested in. And, um, it was, you know, I got to challenge them in physical ways as I knew would probably be desirable, but I also got to be playful and silly and, propose some of these ideas of non-dualistic stuff, which can simply look like acceptance and compassion and love and things that, that we tend to talk about in our classes. Um, But really seeing the the playfulness and the willingness to try new things. And particularly we would end all practices with breath work, shavasana, meditation, and then a short like check-in. And these men would share single words, single sentences of how they were feeling and Generally, would sound like peaceful, content. I feel really light in my body. Um, things you might hear from any person after a yoga class, but at the same time, things that these humans might not have said if you'd have checked in with them at any other point in time in their week was, "How are you doing right now?" Is like, it's a very high-intense environment. The guards can be um challenging, you know, for the inmates. Inmates are challenging to each other, so. It was, it was a process to get in, to get out, the security check, and it was the most rewarding classes I ever taught. And probably the most valuable little gem I ever got from it was hearing some of the inmates talking about how they had started practicing every day in their cells, which wasn't something I told them to do. It was more of like I said, hey, you could always do this as, as a as an exercise practice, particularly for people that want to move their bodies and be in their bodies and and probably don't have access to weights like they once did. And, and so here's a practice for them to exercise and feel healthy and connected.
0: Uh, that, it reminds me, and we've, you've probably heard this too, like movement as medicine. And I was listening to a, a, another friend of mine's uh, podcast, Porter Singer today. Um, she's a musician and she was interviewing another musician and saying the music is the medicine. And it's kind of like finding what what your medicine is and the ways that you can access it. And I can imagine it's I've, the comparison you made to the ashram, that prison experience to that was really interesting to, to learn. I've only been to an ashram once, um, and it was here in California, you know, just outside um, Placer County. And it was not um, at, at all as intense as what you've described as, as seeing in, in India. But you're right about that routine. It's like you're up before dawn, and you're, you know, doing all these. Like you're completely exhausted by the end of the day. I, I'm a notorious insomniac, but boy, that weekend at the ashram, I was ready to go to sleep right after dinner. But we still had to go and do one more practice. You know, it was very um, cleansing, you know, for the body. So I can only imagine with that little dose that you were able to give them each week what a profound difference that they can make on their own um going back to their their small space
1: yeah and, and the prison yoga project has done has evolved to the point where they teach inmates how to teach sorry teach incarcerated peoples how to teach others so that they can actually create their own and both within the system and um <clears throat> people that are incarcerated that are leaving that they could actually step out and move into the world as a yoga teacher so it's it's really cool program that's really empowering and and uh, compassionate
0: that's the other thing too bringing it to the outside so that there's something else like a a skill and a connection point that's right get out of there yeah imagining a day beyond those four walls that's amazing thank you james for just I just want to thank you for the for the work that you've done in all these realms it's you've touched a lot of people you've really touched a lot of people
1: thank you yeah I, I i feel blessed for all of the things i've essentially been invited to, to participate in as far as these events and teaching in the prisons and all the studios i've taught in you know the the, the being a studio owner, which I also did for a little bit, is not—it's not easy. Being any kind of brick-and-mortar owner is—is is something I really honor and like. Thank all of the yoga studio owners that that create the place for these practices to be taught and shared and embodied.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, that either. I I do have <laughs> several friends who've been um and colleagues, yoga studio owners over the years, and it's like you said earlier. It it may look very um glamorous and like how amazing to do what you love but there's there's some big challenges <laughs> <in running laughs> business.
1: It feels like when we're on the outside we're always looking at the tip of an iceberg you know and it's like i i, I remind myself that when i step into new projects it's like all right well what i can imagine it needs to be done is probably 10 percent you know so if i just times that by 10 and I'm still like a full yes, then then I move forward, you know?
0: <laughs> tell us about, I love your shirt you're wearing here, Moksha. So you've developed a game, as I understand it, that helps people to um, connect to one another uh, called Moksha. How did this, where did this seed get started and how did it come about? And just tell us all about it.
1: I have really really good memories of playing games as a kid. Uh, I think the gathering around and playing as equals, you know, everyone has their own pawn on the table and is playing their character. It just changed the family dynamics. You know, mom was being more silly and, you know, all all, dad was like not being parental. He was being a game, a playmate, a game mate. So I have this fondness for game playing, uh, as an inroad to like learning, and as an inroad to play and silliness, um, I've I've definitely spent time digesting the idea of what Brene Brown would say: contest versus competition. There's a lot of a lot of movement, particularly in the spiritual community, that's somewhat adverse to competition, sometimes for understandable reasons. And where Brene Brown differentiates where contest is, she, she talks about like two dogs playing tug of war. And I know we're both dog owners and <clears throat> maybe one of them's big and one of them's little and the big one like doesn't tug as hard. It lets the little one win or if it wins, it brings the bone right back so they can play tug again. In this case, meaning there's no like desire to be the best, the winner, I'm better than you, I won the tournament. It's more like we're using the container of tug of war or a board game like Moksha. to to play together, to be in a space of fun and silliness and and exploration. So I have this love of games and at the same time as a teacher and a teacher of teachers, I really like looking at pedagogy and helping people learn in different ways to access. And so in some ways this game was inspired by, uh, it's a party game called Cranium, if you've ever heard of, which has like four different categories. So similar, it has four different categories, one of which is pantomime, like charades, one of which is drawing, like, like Pictionary would be. So those are kind of in the silly fun realm, and they have lots of yoga poses, but you can't do yoga poses. You have to abstract from that. So it's meant to be more accessible for people that don't know yoga at all, but could still play, have fun, and learn a little bit. The other two categories being a philosophical one that's more or not philosophy, but more trivia. So it has philosophy, it has anatomy. It's all cute. It's all multiple choice so that it's not too intense, but that's a really like educational component and really complementary to like a teacher training. If you were trying to learn all these things that come at you in a 200 hour. And then the fourth one is really a personal share category. So it takes out any contest component really it it asks questions often vulnerable questions um, that people then share and score a point essentially move forward on the board by participating Uh, and so there's ways that the game has been made both contest and non-contest and it can be played individual modes it can be played in teams it can be played with like everybody collaborating too where there's just like all of us moving through this journey together and so it was really fun to create a big part of the four categories and the systems that come out for me come from the Gita or come from the idea of the different paths to yoga. And this is another another aspect of it's really valuable to me in the world of philosophy, in the realm of this game. And any spiritual practitioner of any any religious tradition can understand how these different paths are applicable, right? Like the path of bhakti and service, which I would say my parents have a deep bhakti practice. They're very devotional Christians. So they aren't Hindu. They don't practice yoga or any form of that tradition, but seeing how, oh, within the Christian realm, you're devotional practitioners. Mm -hmm. And there's karma, this service-oriented practice. There is the inroad of our intellect and, and using jnana as well as like the raja, more meditative practice. And so bringing that into people's understanding that there's all these different rivers leading to the same ocean and that there's no contest, right? There's no duality. Like none of them are better. There's no best path to chakra, to, to yoga. There's, there's no best chakra. Like the heart isn't better than like the, the, the pelvic floor. It's like, no, these, this is an integrated system that really wraps around its complete philosophy from beginning to end that it integrates and it gives people a lot of freedom to choose based on their own constitution what's working and and if it's not working you you know you you throw it out and you take the things that are there's there's so much freedom in it
0: oh that sounds i will admit that i'm not a games person i usually have to be like convinced to go in and i realized in hearing you talk about this that it's about um the competition like I get really stressed out <laughs> like video games really stress me out even if I'm not playing them someone else's I just like the music and the sound like I get very, like someone's going to be killed and it's not even real right I'm I,
1: right.
0: reality the metaverse like all of that is too <laughs> is too real and I realize it's because of that um that tension sort uh-huh. of the, for me personally anyways just hearing what
1: 100 percent I think there's, you know, you tuning into your nervous system, right? Sometimes it's like, oh, this is upsetting my nervous system. I don't need to be here. And other times it's like, I'm uncomfortable with this, but maybe if I lean in, there's a growth edge. Um, and that's part of why I, I really wanted to design the game to be really modular, whether it's contest, teams, individuals. Collaborative is the, the fun thing is you could pick one of the four categories and be like, we're going to play the charades category. No teams, no one's keeping score and you just go so now we're we're just kind of doing this improv pantomime the idea is like it can meet people where they're at and and to eliminate that that anxiousness of the gameplay whether it's keeping score or you know past experiences right whether it's you mentioned dancing earlier singing any kind of being in front of people playing a game if somebody told you you know don't sing uh you're not good at dancing or you know you're not that smart like there's all these past trauma anxieties and so for me gamification whether it's through moksha and I do this in many other places of my life I do this in working with refining my language for example like language is a tool to communicate and if I'm not that attached to who I am and what I'm saying I can just kind of poke at my language and find ways to say things more effectively or or that don't hurt people's feelings or aren't outdated and offensive, right? So language to me is a game and in making it a game, there's no longer, I'm gonna fail or, you know, lose. It's like, oh, we're just playing a, a like, it's like it's like having your child see like, how many toys can we pick up in 60 seconds, right? It's a really good way to do to your own inner child of like, how could you make this project you're not excited about, let's say. Um, or intimidated by um, fun and as a result you're going to learn way more effectively your memories are going to be better so you're more likely to want to do it again yeah
0: it sounds sort of like not to sound like the biggest marketing ad ever but like you could play it with your family you could play it with friends I'm even hearing at work like yeah team building so like two to 20 players or 10 players or
1: yeah I mean, how you adapt it, there's really no limit. Like when you look at something like a typical tabletop game like with teams, it might be like two teams of four or five, but you could go three teams of four. The game will get longer. Um, but I've played it in a group of like twenty people where we just picked one of the categories and we just did the personal share. and we went around and everybody had like a minute or two to answer a question about a growth point, something that happened, loss, transformation. And so, um, it's really modular in that way. And so I definitely, the team building component, definitely in my, my family, nobody practices yoga in the way I do. And I've played with my nephews who are pre and my grandparents, or my, my parents who are in their late seventies. And we were all, we all, you know, adapted it to us and made it really fun. And, and, you know, that, and then also wanting to be able to make it something really helpful for, for people like in teacher trainings too, to make it an actual, like, could be treated as a learning tool can be treated as a fun family friend game and can be treated as more of like connection exercises and getting getting to know each other better
0: i i love it okay so we're gonna have to provide a link to that for people or is there like is it available on your website or
1: yeah it has its own website yogaboardgame.com
0: yogaboardgame.com yeah wow okay
1: yeah, it was a good, it was a good web find. Yeah. There's not, there's, you know, there's not really uh, much out there like this. There's a lot of stuff for kids. There's a lot of, and you know, where people's mind goes to when I say yoga game was like, oh, like yoga twister or like flashcards. Right. That's what it's like. It's, it's really mind blowing how more than half the population goes there. The reality is why there's no asana in it is because you're not warmed up. There's no teachers there. Asana is not about performing. So who wants to sit on a couch and watch someone else do asana? Um, asana is meant to be, you know, with the teacher or until you know the practice with a warmed up body. So the intention really was to teach people some of the yoga terminology as far as asana, but everything else to teach people about all of the philosophy, all the practices, all the embodiment of the principles, because there's so much more to this practice than what we can capture on Instagram. Right. And that's, you know, and that's what that is a little bit of what turns people away from this practice is they look at contortionists that have really flexi bodies that can do amazing things as far as the aesthetics of a yoga pose. And then the person evaluates their own body and goes, I can't do that. I guess yoga is not for me. And it's like, well, you know, there's plenty of yogis in India with a spiritual practice that don't do asana, Right, it's not. It's it's one of the many things actually that that can be taken or or not taken in the in the practice of becoming your best self.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I love it, and I hope I just remembered something that kind of follows the thread of of your game, and I'm hoping you will play this game with me. Um, I love this show called The Moth. It's um, a storytelling show that travels the country but I was first introduced to them as a podcast they record their live shows people put their names in a hat and they go around and they draw a name and then they have to go up on stage and impromptu tell a story about whatever the night's um theme is so anyways I received as a gift last year um the game of storytelling from the moth from a family member and it comes with like hundreds of prompts um, for people to tell tell a story so i'm kind of putting you on the spot because we didn't, we didn't talk about this beforehand but i'm wondering if you'd feel comfortable if i if i pulled out a prompt for you to tell us something that responds to that prompt however deep and far it may be
1: yeah i i'm fairly comfortable with it you know i i say when i teach a lot when we're doing asana we're looking to get a bit awkward or uncomfortable because that's where our growth edge is so i'm i'm a full yes to, to answering your question <laughs>
0: I, 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 it's because you mentioned storytelling. We were talking about your game, and I looked down and I saw the deck of cards in front of me. And I was like, "Oh, I had made it a point that I wanted to bring it more into the the podcast, is just a little more unscripted to 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 find something um, that's kind of like a gift for the guest too, like you know something maybe you didn't see coming, in, and hopefully it's a positive thing." So I'm just. Um, Rifling through here, putting on my glasses because I can't see <laughs> this small print. So, this is tell us. So, there's two sides to the card. So, the first side says, Tell us about a time you deceived yourself, a time where you believed your own hype, a time you pulled off an act of deceit. And so, the theme revolves around delusion um, a story about wearing rose colored glasses, putting on blinders, or fooling yourself. We're gonna be famous. She's the one. No one saw that. I think I can fly looking out for monsters under the bed.
1: <laughs> ah. Thank you. Um, I think if I lean into that, I'd say that the the best deception I ever did uh was was definitely around the she's the one piece um was definitely. Putting all of my eggs in this single basket, um, really just being, hmm, I don't want to say, being selling myself on the idea that anything or everything about myself or my life that wasn't the way I wanted it to be could be resolved by finding the one. Um, and that not just as like a narrative probably laid down really early, but then when meeting the person, I was finally like, oh, you're the right person to project this onto." to um, really yeah, deceiving myself into thinking that there was some magical door I was going to go through effortlessly without without practice without um, without fumbling and having to get back up and uh, be, you know, passing through that door and and. And then coming to the other side of the reality is also the the hardest I ever fell as far as um having to climb back up out of a deep dark place. Yeah. And and in that, um one thing I can say about that, having worked with my own emotional struggles, worked with depression at this time and 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 at other times that uh the best thing I was able to do the best advice I could give to myself if I find myself found myself there again was really being um my own best cheerleader as far as baby steps you know and when being really low to the bottom and then moving like an inch up and having people around that aren't okay with that like you need to go faster like you need to be doing better and be like you know what I'm like a tiny bit better than yesterday um, and like letting that trajectory continue to You're like, I'm great. I'm actually great. Um, being, being good with that uh, is really important. It makes it okay to be like, man, this is really rough. I guess what I mean to say is we all experience difficult emotional experiences and that leaning into that fully and not compounding that with, so you're a failure. So you're a piece of crap. So you suck at life. It's like, oh, you're already experiencing anxiety or depression, or you're getting angry about things. You're overwhelmed. That's enough. That's enough to learn from, to feel, to process, and to not compound that with like self-shaming and self-criticism is is really huge because that gets into a much more dangerous territory for us when we really, when we really feel like we're worthless.
0: Yeah. Oh. James, that was like such a, cause I was like getting ready to ask you, and I'm like, oh, he's going to that spot. Like what Like, what are some of the practices that you do? That's what I was going to ask you to pull yourself out of the dark places. And you kind of did that generally. If you have any specific tips that-
1: <laughs> Strangely enough, I'd say when, in general, I would say this, but even, even emphasize this when you're in a really low place, whatever works is a yes whether that's asana meditation, whether that's taking naps, whether that's Tai Chi, whether that's beating the crap out of a pillow, like what whatever thing is, is not causing harm and is helping is a yes. Like medicine, medication, therapy, friends, like doesn't matter what, what the tool is. I mean that's part of the non-dualistic practice for me is it's like if you've got a tool and it's working for you use it, and you're not committed to that tool for life. If it's no longer relevant later, you can stop using it. It was good while it was good. It's no longer relevant, right? That's what lets us grow.
0: That helped you for that time. Thank you for the generosity of that of that story. You know, sharing a, such a personal part of yourself with us, and just for bringing us all back to this. You know, this, we're all these humans on the inside, and we all fall in love, and we all have our hearts broken, and we all have to pick ourselves back up. Um, and I was listening to something else today, and the person said on my walk, I go to a lunchtime walk with the dogs every day, and they were saying, I wish people could see that the the depth of, joy you know we're always seeking joy right because who doesn't want to be happy but that the depth and expanse of joy is just the same as the depth and expanse of, of grief and like when we're low and you know somehow the pendulum swings and we go um back and forth between the two but we're always so afraid of those low points and perpetually chasing the joy that sometimes those lows feel even worse and like you said get compounded by um all
1: this other stuff and, and our memory gets real short. You know, our brain doesn't work as well when we're not having, when we're not doing well. And so our memory and our belief of like, this is just the new me now forever. is like, no, like stuff's always in stuff's always in movement, you know? And what I will say as far as the swing of joy to let's say sadness or sorrow despair is there is, you know, there are these other layers that I understand or I feel um. You know, there's these layers of the body in the yoga tradition, right? There's the kleshas of like, um koshas pardon me. Often we teach five, right? There's like a physical body, an energetic body. Uh, there's more of an emotional lower and higher mind. <clears throat> and we get into like bliss body. And there's there's things behind that, right? That's where our deep conscious is. But the bliss body, it's called anandamaya kosha. It's this blissful entity or energy in us that, that I can sense as, um more core to who i am than my emotions it's like the way a baby or a puppy is just happy to be alive just like i'm i'm alive and it's great and on a cellular level i think our bodies are celebrating their aliveness all the time they're just like they're vibrating at a joy of being alive so even whether my emotional experience is joy or grief um, there's a an inroad a somatic inroad through my breath through my vibration that can get me back to like my body's thrilled to be alive even if like today sucks really bad and it's really hard it's like there's 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 a there's another vibration there that like makes that easier to navigate once once you can feel into that and like I said you know babies of all species you can sense it like they're just like Generally stoked.
0: <laughs> we do all the yoga naturally. We like, you know, they just lie there and put their toes in their mouth, and you're like, <laughs> yeah. You know, it becomes harder as we get older, and I, I think you've got a really good point there, right? Every cell is happy and joyful and grateful to be alive, and I think we all, we all would do well to try to remind ourselves of that. Um, that was just beautiful. James, is there thank you thank you thank you thank you um i wanted to ask i guess about so i know you have your upcoming events which we've talked about we've talked about the yoga board game where is the best place for people to find you on online i guess on are you you're on instagram because i know I, i follow you there
1: i am yeah social media is james kapika Uh, Facebook, Instagram, and my website's yogajames.com. That's right. Yoga Yoga James and Yoga Board Game. Try to keep it simple.
0: (laughs) And what is on your heart as we're we're approaching spring? So my my newsletter for March, I try to send it out the first day of each month. So the March 1st newsletter, I discovered that the beginning of the year used to start on March 1st. And I was like, that makes way more sense for me. I feel more alive and motivated and like ready to do things in spring. But I always thought it's because I grew up in Canada. (laughs) It's much colder there longer. Um, But it turns out no, our calendar really was um, about that. So I kind of looked at March as like my new goal setting for the year. What are you like, for you personally, um, for you professionally, however that's defined in what you do in the world, what are you kind of forecasting for your new year, the rest of your year?
1: I love that question. And I don't know that I have a great short answer. Um, I find I'm invited to things short term often. I know what I have planned for the next few months. And I know that I am stepping into doing a little bit of stand up comedy. I'm excited for I know it's I'm excited for the The avenue of of comedy as like a really great inroad to to touching people's hearts, which is also was really what made me fall in love with teaching asana. Um, It's grown into something more rich than that, and teaching people how to relate to their body. Uh, But at first, it was really excitement to teach these philosophies and understandings that'll make people's life hopefully lighter and more joyful. And it was a great container to do that. And laughter is such a vulnerable communal space. If we can get our guards down, if we know that people want us to experience joy and aren't saying anything to hurt our feelings, then anyone can say anything. And it's, it can be this really safe space. And so I'm interested in exploring, exploring to use comedy to bring people to their heart space and their heart center. And um and just to laugh at ourselves more you know especially in spiritual communities it can be really easy to take ourselves very seriously and i love the dalai lama's um reflection on you know if you don't know how to have playfulness and happiness in your life your spiritual growth will be very stunted and and what i what i abstract from that is like i it's that gamification piece again of the silliness and play of um what i would call really real optimism And I don't mean optimism from like, everything's going to work out that, that like people trying to give you false reassurance. It's more like finding joy, no matter what happens and like finding, finding the growth, no matter what happens. So that's, that's really the next thing I'm adding to the list of passions I have and things I pour energy into is, is wanting to use comedy as a way to bring laughter and also bring people together and you know, comedians are the last kind of philosophers left. People don't listen to philosophers anymore. Um, people don't go to church. They don't listen to people talk that much anymore. Even musicians are going away. Live singers, songwriters are becoming DJs, which I love electronic music, but this this character that's been around for a lot of history that that's a storyteller and makes us reflect is uh, is a dying art and still is a really valuable thing for me.
0: I agree. And it, it feels like a, a perfect segue. For your, for your journey right now. I'm really excited to hear about that. And I agree that the um, humor and, and warmth that that brings out in people and, and lets their guard down. I was at a, a business training yesterday and one of the presenters was so funny. They were like 35 minutes over there a lot of time and nobody cared because they were having yeah. so much fun. So yeah.
1: we can I mean, have fun. If- if you can get students to laugh on their mat, like, you know, that the body eases into all the shapes they were trying to force, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Oh, well, thank you for your, your like earnestness and your realness, your joy. Um, And the fact that you're able to like, I mean, I feel like we're really having fun and we're ending it on a light note, but you brought in some like, you know, thousands of years of philosophy. And like, kind of really dialed it into, um, you know, your experience as as a modern yogi um, for today. And I, I want to thank you for just your ability to do that and your willingness to do that. Is there uh-huh. anything else on your heart, on your mind, that?
1: I I just want to thank you. You're such a a gracious guide through through me sharing and it feels feels really valuable to me to share. I hope it feels useful and valuable for your listeners that they pick something up they can take away. And yeah, thank you so much. Really an honor to be here with you, Megan.
0: Uh, Oh, no, I know. My cheeks are are hurting from uh, smiling and I don't mind one bit. And (laughs) I I really hope you feel the same way. I'm so excited. Um, and happy and full um, of gratitude um, for having James Kapika on the show today so I hope you will follow up on the links in the show notes to his website to his Instagram um, maybe it's going to be in the cards for you to attend one of the events that he's helping to organize um, now that more of us are three years later uh, able to come out of our homes and interact with one another a little more safely I think it's the perfect time um, to do that. So here at My Yoga Audio, we always end by saying that it's always a great time for you and your mind and your body to be on the mat, wherever that may be and whatever that might look like in your life. And I certainly hope you've gotten some golden takeaways from James' visit with us today. And we will see you next time. Take care, everybody.